Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast. Weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Thank you, Sal and Laurie and Leon and Vanessa for leading this morning so amazingly and to the rest of the pastoral team. So excited to be sharing with you this morning. Good morning, church. Um, It's always an honor and a privilege to share God's word. And um, I carry it so deeply within me when I have to share something, you know. Um, I believe, you know, God is continuing to do a new thing in this season. And as we take ground personally and corporately, let's continue to draw close to him because his ways of deliverance, his ways of freedom are far more beneficial than what you and I can think of or even other people's sound ideas. So my encouragement to you in this season is draw closer to the author himself. Amen. So this morning, turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We're going to read just three verses from verse 20 through to 23. But my main focus is on verse 23. So grab your Bibles, grab your iDevices, Samsung's tablets, whatever it is, and let's dive into it. Personally, uh, this passage has helped me through some difficult times, to be honest, and it continues to help me and encourage me and stir me. And I pray it blesses you. Um, Let's read from verse 20 onwards. It says, now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you have cursed have withered away. Verse 22, so Jesus answered. This word answered in the Greek means concluded and said to them. Now, this word said is very, very important. We'll go into it shortly. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now, before we read verse 23, I want us all, because I'm also a teacher at heart, observe the word say. There's about three to four says in verse 23, and I want us to observe it. For assuredly, I say to you, this first word say in the Greek is lego. He is about to give us a systematic plan. Whosoever says, the second say in the Greek is epo. It means to command to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. Why is it talking about heart, uh, doubt heart or heart, uh, doubt in the heart? I'm glad you asked it. We'll go into it shortly. But believes that those things he says, who says? Jesus says. You know, this is, this is the third say in this passage and it's Lego again, will be done. And he will have whatever he says. Who says? He will have whatever, we will have whatever we say whatever we command, because we are saying according to what he said. So we're praying and commanding according to what he said. Amen. So the title of this morning's message is the power of the spoken word. What did Jesus mean when he said, speak to the mountain? Well, we know that words are powerful, right? Uh, Words tend to frame our world. Words have the power to bless. We know in Genesis 27 and the power to destroy Proverbs 11, 9 power to build and power to uproot. Words are also building blocks to our faith. In Mark eleven twenty three, which is the main verse I want to focus on today, Jesus said, believe once. However, he said the word say three to four times, depending on your translation. 
The speaking part is vital to our faith. Faith is released or put to work by our speaking, but we can't just speak with our faith backing it. And we're going to go into it. Now, the first reference to speaking Jesus used in verse 23, the word I say, this Greek word lego, he's about to uh, speak forth. It says in the Greek, give us a systematic plan, a structured way of speaking. Basically, he was about to inform you and me how to speak to the mountain. We all have mountains, right? And he's about to tell us how to speak to the mountain. Then the next line in verse 23, it said, whosoever says. Now, this word say in the Greek is epo. It means to command. It's showing you and I the authority we have. And we're going to go into it as well. Jesus was giving them and us a Lego or a systematic plan in speaking. That is why he said, truly, I say, I'm about to give you a systematic plan to whoever says, whoever commands, teaching us how to frame our world according to the pattern he has given us through his word. You see, any kind of speaking won't work uh, when trying to move a mountain. Only his way of speaking is going to move mountains. Amen. So the Bible has given us a Lego or a systematic way or a set of building blocks for salvation, healing, blessing, prosperity, protection, victory in life. You know, but if we do not know how to use this building blocks, so to speak, and how he's instructed us, then we are speaking um, and there's no potency to it. It's like shooting blank bullets uh, and, you know, there's no gunpowder in it, so to speak. It's not going to be effective. When Jesus commanded them, when Jesus said, command the mountain to be moved, he meant command and speak to the problem the way he had instructed us through the word of God. Amen. He did not say pray to the father about the mountain. He told us to speak to it. You know, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples about how to address the mountain, I believe he was talking about three important things. And this morning, we're going to look at them. Number one, if you're taking notes, uh, I hope you do. Uh, number one is the power of the spoken word. Number two is your authority. And number three is faith. All three of these are interwoven together in speaking to the mountain. So let's start with point one, the power of the spoken word. What did Jesus do when Satan tempted him in the wilderness? Well, he fell back on the word of God. He used it like a skilled swordsman. And he wasn't just defending himself. He was delivering blow after blow by referencing chapter and verse. Maybe we need to quit playing defense and start playing offense. What do I mean? Well, I don't watch the footy much, but this is what I do know. And uh, the job, the primary job of an offense team is to move the ball down the field to score, either by a touchdown or kicking a field goal. And, and they will use any force necessary to kick that goal. On the other hand, the defense team, their primary job is to tackle the members of the opposing team and intercept the ball so that they don't score. I believe we need to quit playing defense and start playing offense as uh, Christians. Maybe we need to quit letting our circumstance get in, get in between us and God and allow God to get in between us and our circumstances. 
You see, when we first read Mark 11:23, the initial I say by Jesus, this Greek word Lego, this uh, it, it meaning systematic plan, he was just trying to tell us not any kind of speaking is going to cut it in this day and age. He's saying, if you are going to move mountains, you are going to have to speak the way I have taught you in the word of God. Amen. John chapter 1, verses 1 through to 3 and verse 14, we're not going to read it. John introduces his reader to the word of God. And we know the word of God is also known as logos, right? But if we focus on the term word, in the beginning was the word. The most important thing you and I need to understand about the word is found in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is Logos. Jesus is the word, the living word of God, fully God, yet fully man who came to reveal God to man. You see, when the father determined to create the universe and everything in it, guess what? He spoke everything into existence. Follow me. I'm just showing you examples. Genesis 1 teaches us that the world was created by the spoken word, right? You, you see this repeating phrase in Genesis 1, then God said, let there be light. Then God said, let there be space between the waters of the heavens and the waters of the earth. Then God said, let there be vegetation, uh, vegetation and plant life. Here's a simple analogy that will help explain how God the Father worked with God the Son meaning the word, to establish creation. The father had a plan. His plan and his thoughts were made a physical reality by the son who brought all things into being according to the father's plan. You see, the, uh, if you read John, John reveals that it was the word, it was Logos, it was Jesus that created all things. So according to John chapter 1, Jesus is God's spoken word. How incredible is that? John's gospel steers our mind back to creation in Genesis where this triune God spoke the universe into being by his mighty word. The eternal God who coexisted before creation began displayed his mighty power in and through the incarnate word, Jesus. Let me show it to you. John chapter 1, verse 3, if you have your Bibles. All things came into being through him, through who? Through the word. And apart from him, who? Jesus. Nothing came into being. When God spoke in Genesis, um, you know, the creation came into existence. Uh, the word spoke, it means uh, in Hebrew, amar. He answered, he challenged, he charged, he declared. Meaning this is when Jesus took action and created the universe. I wanted to give you an example um, of this because God spoke the answer to an existing issue. And you and I should take action in speaking and commanding, meaning Epo, his systematic plan, his Lego way of speaking found in the word of God into our world. Amen. I mean, we will never truly understand God fully, but the word of God tells us that we serve a God who is unlimited in power, unlimited in capacity. And I want you to know that this morning, unlimited in knowledge, unlimited in his being and grace and compassion and holiness and forgiveness and love and protection. He is a limitless God rather than 
endless power source. You know, in our limited understanding, we're often, we may often find ourselves trying to limit God who is limitless. We're trying to figure out a God who is infinite, you know, with our finite mind. It's like trying to compress a whole ocean into a glass. It's impossible, right? Let's not do that with God this morning. Amen. Uh, uh, Today, we need to tap into his power, rather connect to his power supply through our relationship with him. The word of God is what's going to change our mindsets. The word of God uh, is going to show us how to live, how to believe, how to love, how to forgive, how to speak. You know, Even though we may have stopped complaining and stopped with the negative speaking, we need to replace those now with the word of God. We can't just stand still just because we stop with the complaining and negativity. Amen. Joyce Meyer said, never run at your Goliath with your mouth shut. You see, when David was preparing to do battle with Goliath, he ran toward it, confessing out loud what he believed. Let me read it to you in 1 Samuel 17, 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head, gruesome. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. David prophesied the end from the beginning as he was running towards Goliath. I believe you and I need to take our prophetic words, the word of God, the scriptures, the blessings to do warfare and prophesy the end from the beginning. Isaiah 49, 6 through to 11 talks about how God declares the end from the beginning. So why not us? Why don't we declare the end from the beginning? Why don't we declare his word? Because Isaiah 54, says that his word will not return unto you void, but it'll accomplish everything it sets out to do. Amen. God is all powerful, all knowing, all capable. And all over the pages of the Bible, we read that there is no limit to God, what God can do and his power. You see in Job 36, 22 through to 24, Elihu reminds Job of God's unlimited power. In Numbers eleven twenty three, 23, it says, is there any limit to my power? Now you will see whether or not my word comes true. Psalm 62, 11, it says, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God. Luke 1, 37, for nothing. I feel like this scripture is for some of you out there, for nothing is impossible for God. Jesus told the Sadducees in Mark 12, 24, your problem is that you do not know scripture. Wow. And that you do not know the power of God. You see, We know that God is limitless and his word is matchless. The power we seek lies in the word of God, in Logos, um, in Jesus, who has made his home in you and I. The word is in you, but you must be willing and I must be willing to uh, allow, uh, you know, we need to tap into the word. We need to allow the word of God to work in us. We need to allow the word of God to frame our mindset, to frame the way we speak. 
I know I remember when Leah and I were first dating and he used to teach me a lot in how to break down God's word. And he said, don't just read the word, but allow the word of God to read you. What does it mean? So when you read something, you're not just reading for the sake of it. You're saying, oh gosh, what is it you're asking me to change today in what I'm reading? What is it that you're wanting me to realign with? Amen. Proverbs 4, 20 through to 22, it says, pay attention to his word. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to uh, your whole body. You see, once a spoken word or the command of the Logos leaves your mouth, let me tell you, it enters a physical world and yields its intended effect. Amen. So we need to speak and declare God's word, which brings me to my second point, authority. To understand that you and I have been given authority, we need to first come to accept and receive 2,000 years ago that Jesus conquered the grave. He went to the cross. He bled. He died. He rose again for every single one of us. 1 Peter 1.23 says, you are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible by the word, meaning logos of God. Meaning the word of the almighty God was injected into your spirit, man, to bring about new life. How incredible is that? Colossians 1.13 says that we were rescued from the power of darkness. Now, when you look at the word power, it literally translates authority and jurisdiction. You and I have been um, taken from the authority and the jurisdiction of darkness, and we have been relocated to his kingdom of royalty, of his dear son. Oh, what an amazing, amazing thought. Hebrews 2.14 says Jesus entered flesh and blood so you and I can enter spirit and life. And for you and I to engage in that spirit and life, let me tell you, we need to take, we need to understand what he has done, receive him into our heart, take responsibility in standing that place and standing in that place of authority as a new creation. Because Ephesians 2, 6, 6 says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places. Listen carefully, the very day, the very hour, the very second you and I became born again, you and I received the keys to the kingdom and you and I operate from a whole different post, no long from the kingdom of darkness, but you and I are seated in a heavenly post. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, you have received the keys to the kingdom. You are in a position of delegated authority. I'm here to remind you. I know the enemy may have tried to snuff out your life, but you are in a position of delegated authority. It was the same keys that Jesus gave to his 12 disciples. It was the same keys that Jesus gave the 72 when he sent them out to preach the good news. You know, Luke 10, 17 says, 17 says the 72 returned with joy and said, the Lord, even the demons are sub, uh, submit to us in your name. When Jesus uh, sent his disciples out in Mark 16, it, it, you know, it says this, and these signs shall follow them that believe 
in my name, they shall cast out devils and they will heal the sick. See, power and authority lies in Jesus and that power and authority now lies in you. Jesus has all authority granted to him by the Father and he shared this authority, same authority with the disciples and then again with the 72. There's no reason for us to think it's not available to us. The problem is that many of us do not believe we have this authority or we think that this authority is not real or if we know it's real we do not know how to exercise this authority effectively many are content in listening to the miracles that are taking place in third world countries or even in our country but they're too scared to step out themselves we forget that the power uh, the same power that raised jesus from the dead is alive and active in us to do the work of god Remember this this morning, if we have all authority, that means someone has no authority. James 4, 7 says you resist the devil and he has to flee from you. You have the power and the authority to speak the word of God in the name of Jesus to run the enemy out of the face and say enough is enough. You see, you also have been entrusted with the gift of the Holy Spirit to anoint you and lead you in the ways of Jesus. Turn, pray, and ask God to fight Satan for you. You are the one in authority. Take responsibility. Speak with authority. The Logos, Jesus, directly to your mountain, just like Jesus demonstrated from the very beginning of his earthly ministry. He had authority to change water into wine. He had authority to command the winds and the waves. He had authority to heal the sick and the cripple. He had authority to open blind eyes, to cast demons, to raise the dead back to life. He taught with authority. I want to say to you this morning, my friends and my family, Jesus possesses all authority over all things, and you and I have the same authority. To summarize authority, we need to understand spiritual authority comes from Jesus. He possesses all authority. Second, we need to understand Jesus gave us that authority. Amen. Thirdly, we need to understand what we need to understand about authority. In order to exercise authority, we need to have a relationship with him. You see, you and I can't leave Jesus in the other room and try to exercise his authority somewhere else. It's not going to work. Which brings me to my third and final point, faith. <clears throat> there comes a moment when we must quit speaking to God about our mountain in our life and start speaking to the mountain about our God. Start speaking to the mountain about his power. We need to speak and declare to the mountain about his sovereignty. We need to speak and affirm to the mountain about his faithfulness. We need to speak to the mountain about his promises. His word, Jesus, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amen. Goliath held an entire army captive through fear. His weapon was intimidation. And as we know that today, it's a well-known tactic to keep us bound. Let me say, this not, it does not give us license to do whatever we want to, but we need to rely heavily, heavily on the word of God. I want us to know that fear paralyzes faith. But when you feel, feel fear encroaching at your door, run it out by depositing the word of God in faith. Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given to us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. 
Romans 8.31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? 1 John 4.4 says, the one who is in me is greater than the one outside. Amen. Going back to Mark 11.23, a couple of verses prior to what we read, Jesus had entered Jerusalem. He was hungry and he passed by this fig tree and finding no fruit, Jesus spoke out loud to the fig tree in verse 14. And the Original trans, uh, translation says that he answered, meaning he concluded, he commanded. This word spoke is epo for no fruit to grow in that fig tree ever again. He spoke to that which was in opposition to what he needed. His disciples heard it. Matthew's gospel says that the fig tree, you know, immediately withered away from its roots and the disciples saw the effects of it next day as they were passing by. The disciples marveled and asked this big question that you and I can tend to ask when we are doubtful. How did this happen? You know, and he goes on to say, have faith in God. And then he goes on to explain how to speak to your mountain. Jesus was demonstrating and teaching his disciples and asked what obstacles can be moved when we speak in faith. Today, we are to speak to the impossibilities in the natural by hearing God's word and declaring what he says. It is only then and then alone you're going to see God-given results. You see, Ezekiel the prophet was led by the spirit of the Lord and he was sent down in the middle of the valley of dry bones. The Lord commanded Ezekiel to do something powerful. He told Ezekiel to prophesy. We see that in Ezekiel 37, 1 through to 4. In this instance, God himself did not speak to the bones, did not tell Ezekiel to pray about the bones. He asked Ezekiel to speak the word of the Lord, the word of God to the dry bones. He gave Ezekiel full authority to speak and Ezekiel spoke the word of God in faith and God did the miraculous. I feel like the Lord is charging us all to prophesy. He's calling us to speak the word of the Lord in authority by faith to our dry bones, to our mountains, to our circumstances that stand in our way. Then it is only then we'll begin to see the miraculous take place in our life. I mean, Acts 3, the story of the lame man who's been lame from birth. You know, he's sitting at the gate begging for money. And, you know, Peter and John were going past at three o'clock. They were going to pray at the temple. And uh, this lame man stops these two guys. And he was about to encounter something very unusual. He didn't realize what was going to take place next. Peter stops and looks at the lame man because the lame man had stopped Peter. And he tells the lame man, lame man to look back at him. And he says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. This is in Acts 3. I mean, yes. Then the lame man was healed so much so that he got up and he went walking and leaping and praising God. We know that. Peter did not fast and pray all week, wondering if he should pray for the lame man. Peter had walked with Jesus for about three years and he remembered what Jesus did. He remembered the fig tree incident. He remembered how Jesus instructed them to speak to the mountain. Peter remembered that Jesus had all authority on heaven and earth and he commissioned his disciples with the same authority. On the basis of remembering and receiving from Jesus, I believe Peter spoke to the mountain that stood before the lame man in faith. He commanded the mountain of physical infirmity to be healed in the name of Jesus. Peter spoke out loud to the mountain and God did the miraculous. 
Amen. You can't do or speak and say if you haven't heard God and if you haven't gone into the word and know what the word of God says. Let me say, there'll always be a Pharaoh or a giant who gets in the way of what God wants to do in our life. Run it out with the word of God. Run it out in faith by declaring the word of God. We know that Jesus did not relocate any physical mountain during his ministry. He didn't have to because he knew his authority. But what was he talking about? He was giving them and us building blocks through the word of God about our authority, about our faith and the spoken word of God. Let me say that faith undergirds the spoken word. We cannot speak something without faith. Do you get me? Romans uh, 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We need to chew the word of God. We need to read the word of God and read miracles that are taking place in that have taken place in the word of God and allow it to germinate in our spirit and build faith. And so, because God responds to faith. Amen. You may say, I may not know how I may not know when, but I know you are coming down in the name of Jesus. And then God responds to faith. But if we still keep, uh, still keep speaking with our natural mind and, uh, you know, and doubtful heart, then the mountain becomes immovable. Remember that when we put God's word in our mouth to speak, we magnify the answer, Jesus, more than our obstacles. So this week, I want us to do a couple of things. First, keep a track on how many times you speak about your mountain. Number two, then go to the word of God, find out the answer for each of your problems or your circumstances and your situation. And thirdly, every time you want to talk about your situation or your mountain, replace it declaring the word of God. The word of God is like medicine when applied correctly. Amen. You do not put a Band-Aid on a headache. That would be silly, right? You apply a Band-Aid to a cut. That's why you need to find the correct scripture and apply it appropriately. You find the correct uh, scripture to your problem and tell it to change and tell it to conform to what the word of God says. Amen. Because Jeremiah 1.12 says that I'm watching over my word to perform it. Amen. He's watching over his word. So hold fast to his word and hold fast to your confession. Hebrews 4.14 says in 10.23, why do we hold fast to our confession in declaring the promises of God? Because the enemy is going to try to steal your confession uh, through wrong thoughts and negativity, literally to try and put doubt in your head so there's no faith building in you. Let me remind you that death and life are in the power of your mouth. You hold the keys. But you also need to remember, trust the word. Isaiah 55 says that God's word will not return unto you void. So trust it, believe it, hold on to his word, speak his word. Amen. A little bit more to go. Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to comes to God, must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What do we need to know? First of all, this passage teaches us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We know we need to know that. Secondly, what we need to learn from this verse is that our faith needs to be directed through Jesus because he's the author and the completer of our faith. 
Thirdly, we need to understand that this verse teaches us that anyone who comes to him must have an expectant heart, not a doubtful heart, because he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. On a several occasions, Jesus used these words, according to your faith. Do you remember the example of the blind man in Matthew 9, 29? Also the woman with the issue of blood in Matthew 9. What about the centurion in Matthew 8 seeking healing for his servant? You see, Bible-believing faith is the key factor in activating God's promises and speaking to your circumstances and your mountains. You know, in order to understand faith, Hebrews 11, 6, we need to understand that faith is trust. When we can understand faith is trust, then we understand why it is impossible to please God without faith. Have you ever had somebody distrust you? It's very painful, right? If after all he's done for us uh, and we distrust that he exists, we distrust that he's a rewarder of those who seek him, then our relationship is built on distrust. To have faith in God is to trust him above anything, any circumstances, any situation. And when we trust him, we're saying we trust his integrity, his reputation, his character, his image, his word, his ability. I mean, based on that, it's quite easy to understand why God may not be pleased with our unbelief and distrust. When we as a people do not trust God with our lives, it doesn't honor God. It doesn't honor his word. It doesn't honor his integrity. No one has given more and laid down more of his life than God himself. Amen. So Mark 11, 23, when it addresses the doubt factor, when it says, and does not doubt in the heart, doubt that comes in the heart is opposite to doubt that swells around the head. Let me tell you that. Doubt in the mind, you know, I guess manifests as a simple question. Doubt in the heart, by contrast, is less concerned with the intellect and with the facts. Doubt in the heart questions the sincerity and it's at the root of distrust. Does God really love me? Um, am I really forgiven? Am I really protected? That's, this is a scary type of doubt that, which attacks what God has spoken in his word. Let me talk to you about doubt in the head. Everyone around us get doubt in the head. I know I do. I could be cooking, cleaning, walking, and all of a sudden all this uh, thoughts just flutter my head, you know, like, uh, are my kids going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? What's going to happen in the future? All this stuff, you know, just bombard, bombard, bombard. Have you ever gone for a walk and watch birds fly over your head? You know, they're constantly flying. You can't do anything about it, correct? But the moment one bird decides to come and land on your head and build a nest, then we're in big, big, big trouble. We shouldn't allow that to happen. Let me take you some through some stuff. So what should we do when thoughts, doubts, negativity, lack of trust enter our mind uninvited? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, bring every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. How do we do that? By casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Let me tell you something. The context of 2 Corinthians, it's actually in verse 3, Paul tells us that we walk in the flesh. We, we are, uh, you know, meaning we walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. We do not rely on human ingenuity or clever man-made plans to bring us into victory because the flesh is powerless against the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil. Our spiritual safety and strength does not lie on our own knowledge or the wisdom of others, but it lies in Jesus. 
When we cast down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself, the knowledge of God, guess where the finger is pointing? It's pointing inward. It's dealing with every prideful thought uh, in the heart, every inflated ego, every haughty look, every vain and scornful attitude, and every foolish imagination of the heart. And it's dealing internally with that kind of thing. So how do we stop the transfer from head doubt to heart doubt, first thing is stop speaking it out. The minute we speak out, we own it. And, you know, we know we own what we speak. And the minute we own it, it enters our heart. So don't let doubt transfer from head to heart. Instead, do what Philippians 4, 8 says. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there's any excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Centre your mind on them and implant them in your heart. I want to say to you as I finish, don't climb the mountain, dissolve it. That's what the word tells you to. But here's another thought. Jesse Duplantis, I was listening to an incredible message by him. Once he said, don't deny the existence of a mountain in your life, deny its authority to stay and refuse it to allow it to stop the plan of God in your life. Amen. I've gone through many struggles in my life. And one thing that I can share in closing is that I remember when Josiah was diagnosed with Crohn's and um, I remember he had gone uh, with my husband to get a diagnosis and it was a Friday. They left at five o'clock in the morning. They came back at five in the night with this paper written up saying a preliminary results indicated to be Crohn's um, or ultracertic colitis. In that moment, I don't know, I wasn't getting up the loins of my mind. I just let it flip. And I went into the laundry and I was crying and I was upset. And I'm saying, how could you, God? I thought your word heals. I was blaming God. And then it was a momentary lapse of judgment. Let me tell you that because I quickly, I mean, I, I, I believe it only lasted for 10 minutes. I don't know, it could have been more, but I'm saying, Honestly, I had to repent and I, I, and I had to say, sorry, God, for even thinking that way, because we do not, you know, allow God's word to reduce down to our experience. We know that God heals and delivers and sets us free. That night we had to go to our church camp. And I remember as soon as I, we drove into the camp, I literally heard uh, this thing in Isaiah, the scripture in Isaiah that says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And they will mount up on wings of eagle. And and that uh, a scripture just brought such peace into me. And I knew that weekend Josiah was going to be healed. I knew that God was going to do something that weekend on the church camp. I did not see the physical manifestation because, but I knew God did something because Matt McGaw, who is a preacher we know, he preached on the what ifs in our lives. What if this happened? What if he doesn't get here? What if this? And he said, when those come, I want you to take it all open the door and chuck it all outside. Chuck all the what ifs and go back to reading the word of God. I wanna encourage us all, you know, this morning, go back to what the word of God says and not what someone else says, because it's what's gonna hold the water. It is what's gonna take us through the other side, no matter what storm we face. 
Love you guys. Appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for just praying and lifting our pastoral team up in this season. We love you and we have been praying for you and we are going to continue to pray uh, for God to just unveil himself in you and in and through the word. Amen. Love you guys. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.